millennials started it. There is now this desire to have a relationship with brands. In the past, we didn't have that desire. And frankly, there wasn't a mechanism for that desire. It's not like you could just call up a call center and have a chat just for fun with the agent, right? But now we can go onto social media and we can engage with brands and have fun with them and create a relationship with them. In today's episode, I invited Dan Gingis to talk about millennial expectations that have slowly become the new standard for delivering great customer experiences, no matter what demographic you are targeting. We speak in detail what these expectations are, briefly touch on the future of CX, and by the end of the episode, Dan also gives advice to those who are aspiring to build their career in marketing. Dan is a licensed bartender who makes the best martini, decent softball player and speaks fluent Italian. Apart from that, he is also an international keynote speaker, host of the Experience This Show, worked in social media marketing for McDonald's, and as any other digital marketer, he started from zero. I actually started in marketing. I spent uh, 20 years of my career uh, as a marketer, mostly in large B2C companies, um, Discover Card, a credit card company in the US, uh, Humana, which is a healthcare company, and then a company you may have heard of called McDonald's. And uh, I was, again, mostly in marketing, but evolved over time into an experience role. And that really happened because of a particular role that I had at Discover that I was recruited into, which was the head of digital customer experience and social media. And the interesting thing about that is I was recruited at a time where I had zero experience or background in digital customer experience or in social media. And so I asked the chief digital officer, who was the one that recruited me, why did you select me for this position? I don't feel like I have the background for it. And he said something that actually changed the course of my career. He said, Dan, I've been watching you in business meetings and you always have the customer's hat on. You are always looking at business problems through the lens of the customer. And I think we need that in the digital space. And I was blown away because as soon as he said it, I was like, man, he's right. And then I was thinking, how come I didn't know that about myself? Like, how come I couldn't have put those words together? And the fact that he had just observed that really got at, that's what I'm passionate about, is I'm passionate about the customer and making experiences that are great and memorable. And so from that time on, I took that role and uh, and really started focusing on this. And that's also where I started building kind of a personal brand uh, outside of the company, which frankly, my boss had encouraged me to do. Uh, he really wanted me out there speaking on behalf of Discover and um, and building a social media presence and all that sort of thing. And so he kind of unleashed the beast and, and uh, I never came back from that. Uh, started for a while as kind of a side hustle for a bunch of years. And then at the beginning of 2019, I just was presented with an opportunity I couldn't turn down to finally go off on my own and do this full time. And uh, my joke to people now is I love working for the Dan better than I liked working for the man. And uh, I have so much fun helping clients, um, speaking to audiences, really spreading the gospel of remarkable customer experience and 
why creating remarkable customer experience can be your best marketing. Because at the end of the day, as a marketer for all those years, the thing we were always looking for was word of mouth. We were trying to get other people to talk about us. And rather than doing that through a marketing campaign, I believe that the best way to do that is through creating great experiences for your customers. In Dan's latest book that is going to be published in September called The Experience Maker, How to Create Remarkable Experiences that Your Customers Can't Wait to Share, he introduced his own CX framework called WISE. I had the opportunity to read it, and as a university student who naturally loves frameworks, models, matrices, and everything that can be categorized and measured, there was one element in the framework that made it stand out from others. That element stands for the letter W, which is witty. Listen to Dan explaining why this is so important and how you can apply that in businesses that cannot possess a witty character, like debt collection companies. I've actually worked with some debt collecting companies and believe very strongly that they can employ witty. So first of all, for those that haven't yet read the book, witty is not about being hilarious or hysterical or a stand-up comedian. It's about being clever. It's about using language to your advantage, and it's about refusing to be boring. And that's where I would start with the debt collector is say, there is no law that says you have to be boring. So let's all agree to that and now work on how you can be not boring. And the reality, and I actually have a little bit of experience about this, I haven't told this story in a really long time, but when I was in business school, back in the day, uh, I did a summer internship at a major bank, and I was in marketing, but I was placed in the debt collection area, which was so weird to me, because I, here I was, my job was to market to the people that weren't paying us. And that was a really interesting challenge, but we did a bunch of focus groups and I really got to understand this type of person. And one of the things that became crystal clear was not only did people who were in debt want to be out of debt, but if they were missing payments on one of their credit cards, they were almost always missing payments on many of their credit cards. Why is that important? Because the bank I was working for, the perspective that we took was, if you're only going to pay back one card, we want it to be our card, right? I mean, we understand you may not have enough money to pay back all of your cards, but let us work with you. Choose us because we want to keep you as a customer. And so that's why that role was actually really, really interesting. And so to do that, we had to be more human. We had to be more empathetic. We had to be more understanding, more helpful. And the witty part comes in because ultimately, and I do think you you sort of pointed on this, this is your generation and, the, and maybe the one before is, is I think millennials started it. There is now this desire to have a relationship with brands. In the past, we didn't have that desire. And frankly, there wasn't a mechanism for that desire. It's not like you could just call up a call center and have a chat just for fun with the agent, right? But now we can go onto social media and we can engage with brands and have fun with them and create a relationship with them. And when I talk about being witty, it's really just about having that human element shine through. Your company is not a building. It is not a name on a piece of paper. It's made up of human beings and your customers are human beings. And what do human beings want? Relationships with other human beings. 
and to do that often in our real lives. We depend on being funny, witty, personable, different, and not boring. And so that's really what that's about. And I do think that that almost any company, uh, I'll tell you, the only one that actually threw me for a loop, true story, I, I uh, once did a Q&A after a speech, and the very first question I got, this woman was like ran up to the microphone to ask the question. She said, love all the stuff you're talking about, customer experience. Hey, I could use your advice. I work in a funeral home. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, I'm not sure I have any advice for you. <laughs> so... But I do think for the vast majority of companies, um, being witty, again, it's just about look at your language and chances are you're using the same language that all of your competitors are using. You're using industry jargon. You're using acronyms. You are speaking a language that your customer does not understand. And instead, you could be warm and personable and desiring of a relationship back with your customer and understanding how they speak. And if you do target millennials and Gen Z to understand, you know, the, I don't even know what to call them. They're not acronyms, but you know, the, the, the texting language and, and all that sort of thing. And to be in the know so that you can reflect that back and show that you want a relationship with your customers. The aspect of building relationships and being witty made me realize that in 2021, one of the things that makes your mark homes or brand voice better than your competitors is being self-aware. Because self-aware brands are able to use intelligent humor, are smart, are not afraid to make fun of themselves or certain situations. In my personal observation, and you can disagree with me, but I think that this element of being authentic and not taking things too seriously has been pushed by millennials and taken to another level by Gen Z's. If you only think about TikTok, Gen Z's favorite social media platform, majority of the content uses humor as the primary element of the message in the video. When you have a bunch of the population that desires a relationship, and I should say, while I think the millennials maybe started it, and the Gen Z's really pushed it harder. There's no question that the other generations, especially X and Y, now want this as well. And so they kind of saw, wait a minute, you know, we don't want the millennial, all, the millennials having all the fun. And so I, now there are people from all generations that are communicating with brands online that want to have that relationship back. I'll tell you a quick story that was really fun for me. I've always been a fan of Skittles candy, and uh, I was really, really mad at Skittles a couple of years ago, a number of years ago, when they got rid of the green lime Skittles and they replaced them with apple, which I think is a disgusting flavor. And lime was my favorite flavor. And so, you know, I good naturedly sent out a few tweets and they got a lot of feedback. And every once in a while, because uh, I, I have cut down on my candy as I've gotten older. And so uh, every once in a while, as I'm enjoying some Skittles and, and literally picking out the green ones and throwing them away, I would go tweet at them again. Well, just recently, I tweeted at them and said something like, when are you going to end the green apple experiment and just bring back lime? And they responded back and they said, how about Wednesday? And I was like, what? And the next response was a GIF that basically introduced an all lime package of Skittles that they had been working on. And it's limited edition. And basically, it's responding to so many people saying they miss this flavor. They came out with a limited edition all lime package. And 
I know they didn't do that just for me, right? I understand that. But man, in that exchange, it sure felt like it. And it just felt like they were talking to me. And that makes me love that brand even more than I did before. And it makes me want to tell people about the brand, like I'm telling you and your listeners right now. That is exactly what my book is about, is how do you get people to talk about your brand to other people? Because I guarantee you there's somebody listening right now that's going to go buy a pack of Skittles later and wasn't thinking about it until they heard me talk about it. And that's because we have become immune to all the marketing around us. We've been immune to all the TV commercials. We fast forward through them. We skip them or, or scroll past them in social media. But man, when somebody talks to us about a brand, we listen. Good or bad, we listen. And that's what I am trying to inspire people to do is become that brand that you that gets people talking. And the brands that have really figured it out and the brands that especially millennials and Gen Zs love are the ones that are just willing to have some fun with their customers. And you don't have to be a candy company or a cool clothing company or you know a retailer or whatever. You could be any kind of company that does business with younger customers. You could be a bank, right? Instead of being that bank that looks and sounds and feels like every other bank on the planet and can't differentiate, why not be that bank that looks and sounds different than any of the other banks? And one of the main things that I talk about in the book is that competing on price has become a loser's game because it's a race to the bottom. And you just think about the I'll say it in, uh, I'll say it for the British, the petrol stations that are often across the street from each other and they sell the same product at the same price. And if they continue lowering the price, they're going to give it away. And you also can't compete on product for the same reason. You think about one of the most innovative companies of our generation, Uber, and now you look at how many competitors there are that look exactly like Uber. And I dare anyone to get in a car and not look at any sticker on the window and tell me if they're in an Uber or a Lyft. You can't tell. You just can't tell. And so if that can happen to one of the most innovative companies in the world, we can't compete on price or product. The only thing left is experience. And you can either be like everybody else or you can have an experience that people want to pay for and that people want to talk about. And again, that is any industry. And especially if you're in a competitive industry like banking, you have to start thinking about how to be different, not how to be the same. Speaking of being different, we know that over 90% of businesses believe that CX is the main differentiator from your competitors. It's not the price, it's not the product, it's customer experience. However, a hundred years ago, businesses could compete on price and 70 years ago, businesses could compete on product. Will we ever reach a point where we have to compete on something else than customer experience? All I can say to that, because I don't have a crystal ball, is I can't wait to see that <laughs> because we are so far from that. And while it's a great uh, wish and it's a great um, hope, I think that there are still too many companies that don't value the customer nearly enough. And as I say in the book, Without customers, we don't have a company. You can't say that about almost anything else, you know, but without customers, we don't have a company. And I think customers have to be valued to that level. Uh, and there's, and so it would be awesome if 
customer experience became so pervasive and we had such a great experience with brands that they had to find something else to compete on. I would love to see that world, uh, but I think we're gonna, it's going to be a while till we get there. Is it utopic to think that at some point in the future, businesses will reach CX maturity? Maybe. It is certainly not naive to think that businesses will compete on something other than CX. At the end of the day, if two companies offer great pricing, great products, exceptional CX, which one do you choose? Is it social responsibility? Or is it something we cannot even imagine yet? You know, when you asked me that question, I started thinking about the environment and about climate change and what if we got to that point, right, where we didn't have to worry about it anymore. And yeah, that is a that is a uh, utopic thought, not likely to happen in my lifetime or yours, uh, and maybe for our kids or grandkids. Uh, but ultimately, I think that even if you reach CX maturity, customers' expectations are constantly changing because everything's changing around them. And so I don't believe that there's any point in which you are done with customer experience. I think you can become really good at it. I think you can become the best in your industry at it. It doesn't mean you're done because tomorrow is going to be a new generation of customers that are going to have different expectations that are going to grow up with different technology that hasn't been invented yet. And we're going to have to react to it, right? Companies 50 years ago didn't have to worry about cell phones. They didn't have to worry about, as I like to say, they're no longer being an offline experience because any offline experience we can take a picture of and bring online. Companies didn't have to worry about that before. And so we don't know what technology is coming next, but whatever it is, it's going to change things again. And so I think the best we can hope for is to get to a point where customer experience is ingrained into the company so that it's easy for us to pivot and react and change and adapt as the world does around us and as customer expectations do around us. Last month, McDonald's appointed its first chief customer officer. And earlier in the same month, Volkswagen announced their first CXO. More and more global companies are creating this C-level position. And although it may sound as a dream to CX leaders, some people don't agree with the fact that there should be a new executive position to handle the entire transformation. And if so, should this be an ongoing process or is it temporary? I think on the surface that this role should be permanent. And let me explain why. It's the, the old debate has always been around, should customer experience be a department or should it be everyone's job? And the answer is yes. It should be both of those things. Because the, we talked earlier about having to develop a culture of customer centricity. That means that every person in every role understands how they affect the customer. They may never meet the customer. They may never be in front of the customer. They may be in a back office finance role, but their role affects the customer's experience. And they need to understand that and they need to figure out how within the auspices of their role, they can improve that experience. The problem is, is that as companies get bigger, every time they become siloed. And when we have siloed companies, we have siloed experiences. 
And let me tell you, customers do not care about your company's org chart. They don't care about how you are organized. They just want a consistent experience throughout, which is the I in my wiser methodology, immersive. And so I think you need a, an executive level person and a department whose job is to sit at the 30,000 foot level and see the whole experience and to be responsible for the whole experience and importantly, all of the transitions, all of the handoffs that invariably happen in a business because that's where the experience usually falls down. B2B companies listening, I'm talking to you here. I'm talking about the handoff between the salesperson and the account manager or the customer success person. That is almost always a messy handoff. You have a, a chief customer officer who ensures that that handoff is smooth and that that customer you know, gets exactly what they were promised by the salesperson, even if that promise isn't delivered for a year down the road when the salesperson's off on another sale. That's why you need that person overseeing the whole thing. So I do think you need both. I applaud McDonald's for hiring a chief customer officer. I think they needed it. There were things that I saw when I worked there that did not convince me that they were always customer centric. And so I'm happy to see that they've hired this person. And I hope that that person instills customer centricity throughout the organization. Last but not least, I asked Dan what he would advise to professionals who are aiming to build their careers in marketing. I don't need to say much except Dan's genuine answer will definitely plant a seed or two in your mind and you might remember that in the future when you will be making your career decisions. I was very fortunate to work at some great companies in my career and to lead a lot of teams. And I would say that one of the things that I tried to do was be the best leader that I could be. And to be inspiring to my team, uh, to get to know people on my team and understand what their career goals were and what their skills were. And I do feel good about the fact that having been out of corporate America now for a number of years, that one of the things I left was a lot of people that I managed to mentor. And I also realized that as I moved up higher in, or in organizations, it was really difficult for me to find my own mentor. And so my advice is find a mentor, find somebody who is willing to advise you, help you support your career. Um, no matter what you want to become or do, you can't do it by yourself. And you got to have somebody there who is willing to go out on a limb for you, put your name out there, make sure that leaders know who you are. And I really loved being that person for as many people as I could. Uh, but I think it's one of those things that if you don't have it, your corporate career is going to be so much more difficult. And the other thing is just always stay aware of changes and what's going on and embrace change. Um, again, you know, Social media came onto the scene during my marketing career. I My first marketing job was in direct mail, not digital at all. And I went on to lead marketing teams in website, mobile, social, search, you know, everything digital that you could possibly do. And I loved all of it. 
And so being willing to constantly learn and adapt, it's why I've told every social media person that has ever worked for me, and I've led many social media teams, do not aspire for a career in social media. There is no career in social media. Aspire to be a well-rounded marketer. Take your social media experience and go learn email and go learn website marketing, go learn search, because that's how you become a VP of marketing at a company, right? And so be willing to learn and grow with the world around you. Uh, and I think that is, that's going to set you up for success. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you are interested in learning more about what Dan does, visit his website dangingis.com or pre-order his upcoming book, The Experience Maker, and I will see you next time.